Yeah, it's Encounter with God Time here on The Breakup Show. We've got some interesting text messages to read. Before we do that, another question for our quiz. Let's see if you can get this one correct. Correct. Uh, <laughs> how many so we were doing Johnny Cash impressions before we come back oh, on. Oh, Lawson, <laughs> what are we time. going to do? You need to pray for our brother, Lawson. <laughs> this, brother, this brother needs some prayer, guys. Amen. Please. <laughs> <laughs> how many times did Joshua's army walk around Jericho prior to its destruction? 0491-064-669. That's not how many times they walked around. Jericho, that's the number that you can call or text to get your correct answers in to go in the draw to win the Revive Cafe Cookbook. We have volumes three and four. Again, this is healthy, tasty, awesome, incredible meals that you can cook at home. And I can't stress like how amazing these cookbooks are. They are big. They are expensive. They are full of recipes. And we want to give them to you for free. All you have to do is answer questions correctly and win the draw. If you want any terms and conditions for our draw, you can head to our website, faithfm.com.au. But again, that question was, how many times did Joshua's army walk around Jericho prior to its destruction? Ooh, interesting. Mm. All right, let's get into it. Got some text messages to go through here. And here's the first one for you uh, coming from Braden. Mm. He wants to know, Mm. how do you get solid hydrogen? When it freezes at minus 252 degrees Celsius. <laughs> Brayden. Brayden. <laughs> That's the whole point. <laughs> That's like the whole, like, you just, like, okay, so we have, cham- like, we've been working on, like, like fission reactions, like nuclear yes. power and whatnot, and you have to heat those things up to, like, literally, like, hundreds of millions of degrees Celsius. Yes. So I think a couple hundred below zero is not. But so wouldn't that difficult. take a lot of energy to do? And then that energy is absorbed in. It's, inter- it's an interesting question. This is, mm-hmm. and, and but I guess the key with this one is that they're able to uh, thaw it and use it so rapidly because yes. if it's minus two hundred and fifty-two, that's going to take a long time to thaw out mm-hmm. potentially. Oh well, that's my thinking. If it's that cold and you put it in such a hot environment. You're, you're actually seeing a drastic change in state. Oh, there's some interesting science here. Whatever it is that these engineers have, yeah, whatever it is that these engineers have come up with, uh, we need to know more about it. We need, which we probably should. Lawson, here's your job. Get, get one of these guys on the show to tell us, to explain to us how does this work? Dude, they're just at UTS. Yeah. I'll just call them. Call. Hey, listen. We want to know. Mm-hmm. We want to know. How does this work? Okay. Then another one here. This is an interesting one. Um, it says, I know it isn't clear from the Bible, but there is some speculation that the antediluvians were messing with God's creation. They certainly had the knowledge and the mental function to do such. Modern science says we have improved, but when you have people living close to a 1,000 years, I can only imagine the knowledge base the antediluvians had. Something we are only just starting to get close to with the digital age, and this is a really in- interesting discussion. Okay, so let's let's assume that six thousand years of sin has degraded the human race, and I think that's a very uh, fair assumption to make, particularly when we look at you know the, the history of genetics and so forth and how it degrades over time. Mm. We can see that in many many different species, uh, particularly species that have a shorter lifespan and much faster generations than what we have we see how it degrades incredibly rapidly and then you have population collapse. Mm. Uh, so so we understand that we are degraded by 6,000 years of life here on this earth mm. with a bottleneck at the time of the flood. 
we also understand that from the Bible, we have been deeply, deeply affected by sin. Mm-hmm. And that has irreparably damaged us as human beings. Mm-hmm. And that damage only becomes deepened the longer we live in a sinful environment. Yeah. So from a moral perspective and from a scientific perspective, we would assume that we are very, very degraded from the antediluvians who were, well, just one or two, maybe three, four, five generations from perfection. Mm. So then we take this giant race and we would, once again, we would assume it's a giant race because everything before the flood was so much bigger than what it is now. We can see that in the fossil record mm. uh, with giant brains. And uh, we see people today who, you know, some some weird throwbacks, it seems, to those perfect brains where some people will have, say, for instance, photographic memory. Mm-hmm. Let's say you have a brain that does not forget. And we've got to understand that writing was only invented because of forgetfulness. Mm. And so then you have a brain that can be infinitely more um, and, and and we're delving into speculation here. Okay, I understand that. But let's have some fun with but it. But it's fun. It's That's cool. Right. Yeah, That's right. we're let's speculating. Have, let's have some fun with it. But let's say that you've got a, a brain that has photographic memory and that is infinitely more efficient than any computer that has ever been made in both maintaining that memory and then being able to access that memory. You know, because sometimes you've got something online and it's going to take you a long time to research and figure it out. But if you've already stored it in your memory banks, bang, it's there. And then you spread that out over what you are actually capable of learning over a thousand years. So look what we've learned in a hundred years. Look at what we have learned as human beings in what, 50 years since the arrival of the digital age. Mm-hmm. Knowledge has absolutely exploded loaded on Mm. a scale that we cannot even begin to imagine because we have a way of storing and accessing data efficiently. Mm. And in many ways we could say that has really only been the last, in many ways, the last 30 years, Mm -hmm. the internet age. That's it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, knowledge is just off the charts compared to anything that ever used to exist ever before because we now have artificial brains. But the artificial brain is so much less than the natural brain. And so when we look at the antediluvians, we would think that their capacity and their capabilities would be far beyond where we are Mm. right now. And if that is the case, if they were, if that, that, then there is definitely the potential that they had access to technology far in advance of what the technologies that we are using right now. I I tend to disagree. Well, okay. I will my, fight you on that. My view is that obviously they were smarter. Like, okay. okay, because they're closer to the beginning of time. Yes. So they're close to perfection. Yes. But the fact that our quote-unquote artificial brains exist and the libraries that we have and all of the knowledge, like, over time that we've gained, even though we have less capacity to use all that knowledge, I think the fact that there's just a bigger population and we have discovered things in all different fields by individuals over a large period of time, all the time. Why would we assume there's a bigger population now? Uh, because. <laughs> I don't know. I, 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 I usually. Because, I mean, okay, you've got, what, 16, 1,700 years before the flood. Yeah, that's right. a short space of time. But you also have the op- opportunity to breed for... 900 years. Yeah, that's right. But I would assume that there's a bigger population now because, 
well, according to what we see in the Bible, there wasn't that much immigration out of the land of, like, you know, the Middle East, where they were kind of based. It's interesting. Yeah, yeah. While we're speculating, let me speculate some more. Okay, okay, okay. Let me speculate some more. Okay, so here's what's interesting. If you look at T-Rex, he's got those funny little arms that are useless for anything. Yes. Why, why, why is that? Because they're and, cute. And, and, the, and the, question, <laughs> the question that goes through my mind is this. Did, is it possible that they messed with genetics before the flood? Mm. The Bible says all the animals that God created went on the ark. Is it possible that the dinosaurs didn't go on the ark because God didn't create them? That is speculation. Oh, it's wild speculation. That is is huge speculation. Amalgamation of man and beast. But because we essentially, like, we we don't know the answer to that because the text doesn't say. We can never know Uh until heaven. Until heaven, yeah. But it's interesting to speculate about. I'm not the only one who speculated about this. Listen to this. This one is... The Tasmanian Devil, uh, Tasmanian Tiger. This reminds me of Jurassic Park movie. <laughs> I bet you, behind the scenes, scientists are trying to bring back many interesting animals, like a dinosaur. That would be so cool. Uh, the military have been doing strange things to humans for many years, as you know only too well. Wasn't one of the reasons God destroyed the antediluvian world for mixing man and beast, confusing the species. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible doesn't say that. So we're not going to say that as fact because the Bible doesn't say that. Mm-hmm. But that was what I was back. I, I read this and I'm like, you know, that's an interesting thing to turn around in your mind. Okay. So we'd love your thoughts on this. Um, our number is 0491-064-669. How far do you reckon the antediluvians went? What kind of things did they get up to? How much knowledge and wisdom and technology existed? You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. All right, back to hydrogen again. Okay. That's my question though, Lyle. Actually, what technology existed? Mm. Isn't all that we find Stone Age technology? Yes, except for ooh parts. What's that? Out of place parts. What is that? Out of place parts is, is uh, are a small subset of archaeological finds of technology that is you know buried in layers of stone uh-huh. that is completely out of place because it should be millions or billions of years old, uh-huh. but it's actually very 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 amazing technology. Uh-huh. So. There are those, and the other thing that I would speculate is this, that most, if not everything associated with antediluvian humans was wiped out by the flood because, well, to begin with, it's going to be on the surface and it's going to be the most vulnerable mm. uh, that there is to the flood because it's, it's, it's engineering and technology-based. It's going to be flattened so much easier than, you know, really the only things that have been preserved from that time have been things that have been fossilised. Mm-hmm. But it's an interesting question, nonetheless, an invalid one. Mm-hmm. All right. These d- d- hydrogen cars. Uh, wow, we have some really smart scientists in Australia. Unfortunately, the oil companies have swollen up many inventions to keep control of the market. But as you said, climate change is making big changes. Anything is possible. But I don't think we've got time. That uh, could be very true right there. I tend to agree. 
And then this one, really enjoying Jennifer Skew's segment, uh, born without a conscience, question mark. Could the Holy Spirit still reach them? This brings up an interesting question. Can you actually be born uh, with the unpardonable sin? Obviously the answer is that the Holy Spirit can reach anyone. We know the experiments that the secret government agencies have done to people, never thought about people actually born without a conscience. The devil never sleeps. I suppose this is his master plan to take full control of the world. Look into look unto Jesus, the giver and finisher of our faith. That is Jesus' plan for salvation. Mm. It was a really interesting interview. Uh, and, and I think that um, the person sending through this text message has raised a really valid point here because the Holy Spirit can reach anyone. And this is one of the things that Jennifer was pointing out is that you can be actually born without a conscience, without physically without that part of the brain where the conscience is, and yet the brain can be rewired to have a conscience. Wow. It's just incredible. Just absolutely uh, incredible. Mm. Uh, here we go. Another thought. If a global flood happened today, how much of our digital intelligence would be left for future generations, 500 years in the future? It's a, it's a valid point right there. So you're saying like none, right? Like that's the point. Like it would yeah. all, all be gone. But you would have, say, a hard drive, which is... 500 years from now? It could start. 4,000 years from now? Okay. Look. I... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, I, I okay, feel so here's like another, here's another one. The only reason why Stone Age technology is all that survived is because it is more resilient to decay. Mm. It's a valid point right there because when it comes to archaeology, only 1% of 1% of 1% of 1% is able to be discovered because of time mm. because most of, artif- most of the artifacts uh, simply disappear. It's really only a stone and metal um artifacts that survive my response to that like the one percent one percent one percent argument which is like very true is that okay but a hundred percent of everything that we find is in a pretty similar category almost Mm, no because there's many different ages you've got stone age you've got bronze age sure but early bronze middle bronze late bronze but you don't find a hard drive no, we haven't found a hard drive. Or, or like, some, like have, obviously not some, a hard drive. There are some pretty but, cool U parts out there. Yeah, I was just looking it up, actually, like people yeah. talking about, like, ancient computers and stuff. Really interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Out of place parts. Okay, let's get into our Bible study, and we are heading to the book of Ephesians chapter 1 for our passage today. Ooh. We're going to talk about the resurrection. Yep. So let's get into it. Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, The passage we're going to look at is verse 18 to 23. Mm, Ephesians chapter 1, as I find it on the page here. Ephesians chapter 1, 18 to 23. The Bible says this, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called, his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. Keep going. It continues on in verse 22. It says, God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. Okay. All right. So what we've got here uh, really 
is in many ways a prayer. Mm. Uh, I think yours might even start that way. It says, I also pray. In verse 18. In verse verse 18 it says, I pray that your hearts, and then in verse 19 it says, I also pray. Yeah. Mm. So what we've got here is Paul praying for who? Uh, These people, the Ephesians. Or us. Mm-hmm. Could be us. It like broadly speaking, it's the reader essentially. It's the reader, isn't it's it? It's the reader who reads this. And comes I, think when, to I think when I think when Paul the conce- yeah. con- concepts. Mm-hmm. So when Paul first wrote this, he had the Ephesians in mind clearly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but he must have known that there would be a wider audience mm-hmm. because the nature of his letters in those days were that they were passed around from mm-hmm. one place to the next. Mm. And so maybe it's just like, you know, I'm going to write this for everyone who reads it, never, ever imagining that 2,000 years later in Newcastle in Australia, we would be reading it. Yeah, I think like with Paul as an inspired prophet led by the Holy Spirit to write these things, you know, once you get to the end of the book, you have like your final greetings and whatnot. He's talking to Tychus and he's talking to a bunch of different people and addressing them personally and and, you know, because he's writing a letter. Yes. But it, often in Paul's letters, throughout the letter, like he's talking about concepts that are so broad yes. and so wide-sweeping that it has to be to more than just the intended reader. Like he was, I believe Paul was hoping and praying that these words would get around to everyone. You, you read a book like First Corinthians, which First Corinthians to me is probably the most, personal like he yes. speaks the most directly to issues in a particular place at a particular time but then not just giving them advice like hey such and such should or shouldn't do this but giving them advice using again broad sweeping principles and so we see here this amazing prayer <laughs> that people would know that christ is ultimately authority and head and leader over everything to give them hope and to give them comfort in their times of trials and troubles that are going to come. This is a principle that not only applies to the Ephesians, but every other church that you wrote to and us today. That's right. And I was actually looking for the start of this prayer, Mm. and it starts there in verse 16 where it says, Cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers that... Mm. Um, and it goes on here, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know uh, what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance the saints are. Mm. And so that's really where the prayer starts, and it continues down through there, which is, um, you know, it's, it's really interesting that Paul actually prays a prayer and then, writes it down for us. I think that's possibly something we don't actually do that often. We tell people we're praying for them, but we don't actually, you know, maybe next time you're praying for somebody, write your prayer down in a text Mm -hmm. message and shoot it through. Mm -hmm. I'm praying, and and just pray for them, you know, in a written form. Mm -hmm. I think people just really genuinely appreciate that as well. I think so. Mm -hmm. I think so. We don't think think this way anymore. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, but we've got several, in fact, quite a few instances in the Bible where Paul and Jesus and others pray. Well, Jesus was being recorded by others, but particularly Paul prays in a written form. Yeah. Isn't that the whole Psalms? <laughs> well, well, like the majority of the Psalms aren't really prayers. They're more 
songs. Songs, yeah. But some, some of them are some of them are written prayers. That's right. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I, I think you know we kind of shy away from the you know the Book of Common Prayer or the prayer book or whatever it might be because of you know what the Bible says about vain repetitions. But that mm. doesn't mean that you can't send somebody a very personal prayer via text message. Mm. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM, positively different. You're listening to Stephen Curtis Chapman with My Redeemer is Faithful and True. A couple of interesting questions coming through for, we'll put them through for question of the day a little bit later on in the show. Uh, But before we go there, let's have another question for our quiz. The final question here is, what was engraved a meter, on a, what on the meter, M-I-T-E-R, which is a headdress? Okay, what was engraved on the headdress or the meter worn by the high priest? This is a question. This is multiple choice. A, holiness is the Lord. B, God is love. C, Yahweh. Or D, prepare to meet your God. Again, that question was, what was engraved on the meter, the headdress worn by the high priest? A, holiness is the Lord. B, God is love. C, Yahweh. Or D, prepare to meet your Lord. Okay. If you know the answer, then give us a call right here, uh, right now, and you, you you will be in the running for a prize. So I got a uh, text message from, from, from our friend Jose listening to the show. From, from the, Arkansas. From the States. A good friend from and Arkansas. And uh, he said to me, he wrote this, I like the Google Drive technology. Now, I'm thinking about how to decipher this because we were talking about cars and I'm like, does he... Is he talking no, about, he's talking about information technology. He's talking about, I'm like, oh, is he talking about Google Drive? And I can wholeheartedly concur, Google Drive, or, you know, you have like OneDrive, like Microsoft OneDrive as well, like those kinds of things where everyone can be in the same spreadsheet at once and you can make updates and it goes to everyone automatically. That's like the greatest thing to ever happen. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that antediluvians had something like that. So uh, I'm going to claim that we're smarter now. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to claim that Google Google Drive has made us smarter than before, but I'm going to claim that if you could optimise the human brain, that it could outstrip any piece of technology that has ever been created. Do you reckon? Yes. It's it's smarter than rocks that we taught how to think? Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, you're a worry. That's mm. what you are. Let's, let's just look at our Bible passage here. It's an interesting yes. Bible passage. Incredibly. Where are we up to? Um, da, 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 da. We were, okay, so let's just, let's just start working our way down through this prayer and break it down. Verse 17, that the Lord, our, the Lord God of our, sorry, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. So this is kind of where he starts his prayer, mm. that we're going to have a better understanding of God. Yeah. He, he's wanting his people to know God. Yes. And to you know, follow him. And he, actually, this is a motif that you see right throughout Paul's writings. You know, God desires all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Like he's constantly communicating, you know, this idea of being reconciled to God, being close to him. He's like, I want you guys to know and understand God, increasing your knowledge of him and be close to him, like have a relationship. And he's building up to something in this prayer. Mm. Because he's talking about, you know, the spirit of wisdom and revelation, the knowledge of him. He's, but he's building up to something as to just how big that is. Mm. 
Because, you know, we, we often limit that in our finite minds and we're like, yeah, the spirit and wisdom and the revelation of the knowledge of God, yeah, okay, great, move on. Uh, but he's actually building up to how much knowledge we can actually gain. Mm. Verse 18, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. What does your translation say? There? I Something pray totally that your hearts will be flooded with the light. Uh, so, what, so what does it say? Yeah, flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called his holy people who are rich in his glorious inheritance. Okay. You've got a lot more words there. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let me let me. I've got mine in front of me, so I'm just going to work from this. Uh-huh. That you may know what is the hope of his calling. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what is the hope of his calling? the The hope of his calling is salvation, salvation, eternal life. Yeah. All right. And what the riches of the glory of his inheritance amongst the saints is. Mm-hmm. So, salvation, eternal life with God in a new world. Yeah. We, we could we could summarize it yeah. that way. Okay, how big is that? How good is that? And uh, what's going to actually give us confidence in that? Mm. I mean, that's a really big promise that is being made by God here, and Paul is claiming this promise. And in his prayer, he's he's praying that we all understand more fully just mm. how big and powerful this promise is. Yeah. What evidence do we have for that? That's such a good point. Like big claims require big evidence. Big evidence. Is God, you know, doing a Nigerian prince here? You know, is he saying, oh, like, we don't believe emails, the Nigerian prince emails, because it's clear that it's false, right? You're right. promising too much. It's They're like, hey, I need you to... Store some money for me. Inherit $20 million for, for me because I have too much money, blah, 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 whatever it is. But uh, again, like Paul is saying, God has promised you eternity which is incredible but it's like how how can we be so sure how can we be so sure and then we get into verse 19 it says i also pray that you'll understand the incredible greatness of god's power for us who believe in him this is the same mighty power that raised christ oh you're running ahead you're going into verse 20 no but this is this is this is the point we talked about the evidence here we are we're right here you rushed it. We're right here. We're right he, at the evidence. He spilled the beans. We're right at the evidence. Right. It comes up. He's like, hey, it. I want Get you guys it. to know all of this because... It's based on... <laughs> ...that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. So big promises require big evidence mm. for faith. Mm. And this is the foundation of Christianity right here. This is one of the reasons why Christianity spread so rapidly through the world, and this is one of the reasons why you've got a, a an itinerant preacher who preaches for three and a half years, and then the religion that he establishes in that time frame becomes the dominant religion in the world. Mm. And that is because of the resurrection. Mm-hmm. The resurrection is the driving force behind it because that is the one thing that makes it so big and so powerful that it gives it that you know opportunity. By the by, the time of the death of the apostles, one in ten people, or sorry, by the time that Constantine comes along, one in ten people in the empire were identifying as Christian. Mm. I mean, that's just a massive spread in an incredibly short space of time. Mm-hmm. And how by, do you by a religion, that? by the way. That wasn't, you know, because there, there have been religions... By a religion that was persecuted the entire yeah, time. Yeah, it wasn't platformed by a government nope. or rich people nope. 
or you know, which peasants, is peasants, peasants from Judea, because there's other religions that from have the most grown despised and race. spread. There are other religions that have grown and spread quickly. Yes, and it's like, oh, is that is that so? Saying that about Christianity is that total evidence that? But the difference is, well, one it, of, yeah. The, the, I think the difference is that we see in history is that it wasn't platformed by rich people and by no. governments, unlike no. unlike I would no. say Islam or Confucianism or Buddhism or all of these religions. Because religions ultimately usually start with one person, and then it did eventually become platform platformed by government when Constantine came along. Yeah, but up until that point, it was already massive, crossing boundaries and cultures. It was a religion that was hated. Mm-hmm. It was promulgated by a race that was hated within the empire. Oh, so true. It was driven by peasants. Uh-huh. And the founder only preached for three and a half years. That's right. So that's kind of without parallel. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you have to ask yourself, all right, cause and effect. Mm-hmm. We see the effect. What was the cause? The cause is the, the resurrection. resurrection. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is the message that we, because resurrections are one of those things that are incredibly rare. You don't see them very often. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, I think there's what, like eight of them mentioned in the Bible? Uh-huh. Thereabouts. That's about it. Uh, so this is not something you're going to see on a regular basis. And when you've got one that is this high profile and this hard, incredibly hard to discredit, then it adds a lot of weight to the argument. Totally. And of course, you know, if, You've got the resurrection there, then you've got a big evidence for a big promise Mm. and for a lot of hope. Totally. All right, so it kind of peaks right here in the middle. Uh, Where is it? Verse 20, which wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him on his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality, power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and has put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that fills all in all. So when it comes to this particular portion of the passage, really what you've got is, okay, this is a big promise. Okay, all right, let's pull out some big evidence. We'll just go with the resurrection, and that speaks of the power of God. And then it goes on to talk about, okay, and this is the position that Jesus has uh, taken here. Mm. So there's a couple of points here. The first is that we have the hope of transformation and an eternal future to which Jesus has called us. And then secondly, we understand that the power was manifested on our behalf. And Paul then goes on, he wants to describe just how astonishing this power is, and he talks about the power of bringing Jesus back to life placing him at the right hand of the Father, and it gives him the power to rule and provide over everything possible his people could ever need for eternity. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. And we're going to get through some of our answers to the questions for the quiz. How many days of the week did manna appear in the wilderness? The Israelites, the answer to that was six. Who was the famous orator who opposed Paul? His name was Tertullus. He was famous orator and lawyer and epic guy. Uh, next, in the third answer was who had four daughters who were prophetesses? That was Philip. How many times did Joshua's army walk around Jericho prior to its destruction? Uh this sounds kind of confusing me. Wait, hold on. 13 once a day for the first six days and seven times on the final day. 
So yeah, you would, I think the answer was originally just like seven times, but it's you know it's some cl- clarification. They're walking around for quite a long time, and finally. What was engraved in the headdress worn by the high priest? It was, holiness is the Lord. But right now, it is time for... Question of the day. All right, Lyle. Yes. I got a question. Yes. It's about things that are nautical. Cool. It's, if the antediluvians were so smart... How come Noah could only build a wooden ship? Well, the first part of this question that I'd take exception to... Oh, that comes to, from Chris, by the way. Yeah, okay. But the first part of the question that I'd take exception to is the word only. Who says that he could only build a wooden ship? Who says that he couldn't use any kind of product that he wanted to? He could have built it out of cement. He could have built it out of... Uh, he could have built it out of fiberglass. He could have built it out of steel. Uh, who's to say that he could only build a wooden ship? There are probably a number of reasons and a number of factors uh, as to why... Noah would have chosen to build the ship out of wood or, more specifically, why God told him to build it out of wood. So why do we build out of steel these days? Why don't we still build ships out of wood? Well, the, there are a number of different reasons and most of them relate to the economics. So uh, steel is much more easily industrialised. Um, it's much less expensive. I mean, you think of this, the, the value of timber these days and how unbelievably expensive it would be to build our shipping fleets out of timber today. Uh, the corrosion is easier to control than decay in modern timbers, unless you are looking at some very specific timbers like, say, hewn pine, for instance, which doesn't decay. There are a number of timbers like that, and we don't know what kind of timber uh, the ark was built out of. Um, there is much less labour involved in building out of steel, much less labour in producing the steel than in producing timber planks, much less labour in construction because you're able to weld, you're able to, well, before welding they had hot rivets and so forth. Um, and then you have with modern timbers compared to steel, you have more tensile strength. But once again, we don't fully understand what kind of timbers that they had back then. And the possibility was that they had timbers with much higher tensile strength than what we have in modern day steel. Uh, We simply do not know. What is interesting is that more modern ships that have been built to withstand abuse have been built out of timber rather than out of steel. Take, for instance, the Endurance. Why was the Endurance built out of timber in an age of steel? Uh, when all of the ships were being built out of steel, the reason was is that she was designed to handle the pressure of ice. She mm-hmm. was a Arctic exploration ship that was used in the Antarctic, and this was before the age of icebreakers. Now, the icebreaker is made out of steel, and it's designed to be able to go up on top of the ice. Before they had that technology and they had the engines to be able to produce that kind of effect, they built out of timber because of the strength that it could afford, that it could afford and also the flexibility. And this is something that's incredibly important. One of the reasons that modern ships, steel ships fall apart is because of the fact that they flex as the ocean swells move their way along the hull. They're constantly flexing the hull all the way along and eventually the hull reaches the point where it is no longer viable and it's sent off to the scrapyard. Uh, unfortunately, there are times when you know hulls will break, in part, break apart and it will sink. Timber can handle a whole lot more flexibility than what steel can. It just is simply not economically viable in 
any universe in the modern world to build out of timber today. So timber is actually a really good choice if you're going to build something that is going to be, suffer a lot of abuse. Just looking at some of the specifications on the Ark, if you used the the Bible standard cubit of about 450 millimetres, uh, she would have been about 140 metres long and displaced about 15,000 tonnes. So this is the smallest cubit that was ever used. Other cubits would have placed her as one of the largest ships ever built. Uh, she would have filled up about one and a half football fields, 450 semi-trailers, etc., that would have made her one of the three largest wooden ships ever built. Uh, it would equal Zheng He's famous uh, junks from the 1400s, the Greek trireme Tessaronteres, and the longest wooden ship ever built in modern days was a gaff schooner called Wyoming, and she was 450 feet or 137 metres long. So wood was actually a really good choice for the construction of the ark. So much more I could talk about this one. We are out of time couple of last text messages coming through right at the end of the show here it says have you heard about the Aztecs El Dorado art exhibition I went to I went to at the Sydney Art Museum little artifacts that looked exactly like a jet of today one of the many articles that have to be seen to believe or 4,000 year old Indian books from India that talk about flying machines and atomic explosions like mushrooms interesting to speculate about uh, how can you compare someone who lives a 1,000 years with 100% brain capacity against someone who lives 80 to 90 with a much smaller brain and capacity? Uh, and then we have this one. There. Finally, we have, thanks so much for that song, In My Father's House. There are many family pictures on the wall. It has made me feel very loved this morning. That one's from mm. John. What a nice text message there to finish off our day. All right, and don't forget as you go through this day to talk faith, to live faith, to act faith, and you will grow strong in Jesus Christ. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.